What exactly do highly successful, purpose-driven CEOs and entrepreneurs actually do? The CEO role is one of the most mysterious positions in business, and a purpose-driven CEO is a different breed entirely. I know because I coach purpose-driven CEOs. My job gives me a unique behind-the-scenes vantage point into their world. For years, I've wished there was a way I could share the stories I hear, the risky calls, the big wins, and the big, big courage of these unique leaders because they have so much to offer anyone who's leading a business or anyone who wants to lead a purpose-driven life. This is the inspiration for the Good Company Podcast. If you want to be more productive, attract the best people, and achieve more positive impact, stay with us. I'm Barbara Shannon, your host, and you are in good company. Today, we continue our conversation with Jim Dickey, renowned sales best practice researcher and specialist in how artificial intelligence is supercharging the sales function. I know you've done some remarkable research on AI recently, and I'd love for you to share what that is and where you see that going in terms of giving us the ability to collaborate and coordinate within and without the organization. A year and a half ago, I started taking a look at AI, specifically as related to sales, and with, with a skeptical eye, because I've also been writing for CRM Magazine as a contributing editor for, for 21 years, and I've seen a lot of people promise stuff that never well, was never delivered on technology. But there's stuff out there that blew my mind. And I think it's doing things that will go and enable different kinds of conversations within the company. So, for example, there's a company out in the Bay Area called Chorus. And what they're doing is, let's say we're having a meeting right now. We're we're recording it. Uh, You know, so a lot of these conversations are having via Zoom, via WebEx, et cetera. And what their system does is it records the conversation, it transcribes the conversation, but it also tags the conversation. It understands what's being said. And so when they, when the customer brings up a competitor's name, it tags it. It was minute 34 and 27 seconds in the conversation. Uh, when they bring up a, an objection that they've heard before, it's, you know, here's where you did that. So let's think about the way that companies work together right now to roll out a new product. Product development creates a product. They're going to create whatever they want because they got all the engineers and all the developers. They give it to marketing. Marketing does its job. They do price, positioning, package, and pitch. They give it to sales, and sales is expected to go out in the marketplace. Well, let's say sales goes out in the marketplace and they're unsuccessful. So they come back to marketing and they go, hey, I got to break it to you, but the baby's ugly. And you go, no, no, you just don't know how to sell. No, I'm serious. (laughs) The product just doesn't, you know, doesn't work. And what happens? There's finger pointing. But now all of a sudden, because all these conversations are now being recorded, they're now part of the CRM records, I can go in and say, okay, wait a minute. I had my 50 sales guys go out and make five calls on this new product. They made sure that they covered the four value points that you listen to. You can go listen to every one of these calls. You don't have to listen the entire hour. You can go to the two minutes where we talk about those things, and you're going to hear snoring after we're done talking about the fourth benefit. So I'm telling you, the product's not right. Well, then marketing goes back and goes, hmm, is it something I've done? Is it price, positioning, package, or pitch? No, it's the product. So I go back to development. Hey, the baby's ugly. No, you don't know how to market. No, the baby's really ugly. (laughs) And now all of a sudden, we're replacing all these hunches with metrics. The developers can hear the exact voice of the customer saying, I don't like the way it does that, or it's too expensive, 
or I could go back to the CFO and go, our, our, our new warranty that you want, it's just not meeting the marketplace. They're pushing back on it. And so I think that's a huge advantage to be able to go, let's deal with, with realities of what's going on and we'll have the data to back it up. And, and AI will do that for us. It will do the number crunching for us. It could go back over the course of a thousand conversations go, when is pricing coming up in the sell cycle? Is it the very beginning or the middle or the end? And by the way, who's bringing it up? Is the customer the first one to bring up pricing or is the salesperson the first one to bring up pricing? And by the way, who's successful in dealing with the pricing objections? Why don't we go find out what they do? So what's AI good at? It's good at crunching numbers. It can go back and run all those conversations, not be bored, find things we would never have thought about. Now, that's just inside the company. You talked about extra prize. You know, right now when GE creates a jet engine and sells it to Boeing and Boeing puts it in a 787 and sells it to United Airlines, there are 32 sensors in that jet engine that send back a terabyte of data per flight to GE. So now all of a sudden it's like, I wonder how that engine's performing. Well, I got the data. Here's how it's performing for Air Icelandic in cold weather environments. Here's Air Jamaica. So what they're finding at GE is because of the Internet of Things, it's not just selling the jet engines. It's selling preventative service agreements. It's selling new product development agreements. So that whole extra prize effectiveness, when all that data is being shared across all the players in an ecosystem, you're going to find a whole bunch of new opportunities to go out and have different relationships with the customers. And that gets it back again to what's that profile of that salesperson? A good friend of mine, Joe Batista, just went over to Dell Computer, and his title over there is Director and Chief Creatologist. And and his role is, what are all the other assets that Dell has besides the product we sell that we could bring to the table? Do we have relationships with customers or suppliers? Do we have patents? Do we have processes? And I think that's really where it's going to be exciting because the data is here today, the hardware is here today, the software is here today, and there are people that really figured out how to do deal with this stuff and, and make insights turn into you know new opportunities that we've never thought of before. And I think that's really where the power of AI is coming and it's coming very, very fast and it's and it's okay. real. Let me just dump a big bucket of ice water reality on this fabulous vision. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. Uh you know, I've imp- implemented AI. I've signed up for a chorus. All my co- conversations are being recorded with customers, with suppliers, with my colleagues in different departments. I'm assuming the CEO could listen in at any point and anybody could get access to this data. This just brings up an enormous number of questions. Oh, yeah. So, you know, okay. So in reality, Heck, I thought I did well, you know, with this interview, just remembering to hit the record button. <laughs> so I've got a chorus. How does, does every conversation in a company get recorded? Does somebody have to decide what information we're going to capture in a recording? And then assuming that we've got all of the relevant information captured somewhere, what kind of people, is it the CEO, is it the heads of all our departments that now have to become savvy about understanding how to go in and extract this data? Uh, how do we now have a AI data management function in the corporation that figures out the right pieces of information to look for and, and brings that up in a quarterly report? Are analysts going to be looking for how well we're doing this? I, I just am having a hard time picturing exactly how this is going to work. 
Well, one of the key things you need to understand about AI is AI takes part in the process. So as opposed to big data where you go do the analysis, BI does the number crunching, but then you have to figure out what the insights are. Because it could come back and tell you, the example I use, it could come back and tell you that the vast majority of your customers like green. Well, okay, unless you're going to have your user group meeting on St. Patrick's Day, that's not a really useful piece of knowledge. The, the difference with AI, and we did this, uh, we, we featured a case study when I was speaking at Dreamforce a couple of weeks ago on U.S. Bank. So U.S. Bank implements uh, AI to go in and do opportunity scoring. So within two hours, it had gone through 4.5 million records and given each one of their customers a rating of 0 to 100 and explained why they got that rating. So it's doing the work for you and it's explaining what's going out there. And then what they told their, their commercial bank was, go call on everybody that's got a rating of 81 to 100. And within the course of a few months, their conversion rate of leads to opportunities increased by 2.34x. Not 2.34%, 234%. Here's the difference, though, is that I went back and said, I, I called their SVP a strategy, and I said, I want to make sure I got the number right. Because when we presented a Dreamforce last year, you said it was 2.34x. And Kai goes, yeah, that, that's, that's the old number. And I go, okay, what's the new number? And he goes, 3.86. Well, what happened? AI got better by itself. AI tightened the algorithms. AI figured out that, hey, we ought to go after this geography is doing better than this geography or, you know, this type of problem is a better problem for us. So AI is part of that conversation with AI. With BI, you've got to go in and have all those hosts of analysts that you were talking about. With AI, it's going to come back and say, you know what? We're starting to see the margins go down in, in Japan. And here's the reasons we think are here's why. Hmm. Or here's a, here's a new deal that we should be going after, and we're giving it a 30% a probability of closing. And, and here are the things you have to do to increase that probability based on our past successes and failures. So AI is not just crunching numbers. It's also interpreting numbers. And I think that's really where the power comes out of this thing. Now, you do bring up an issue of privacy. And that's something that I think a lot of companies are going to have to deal with. In the United States, there are certain states where you can't record a conversation without everybody's permission. But how many times do you call an 800 number and it says, hi, this call may be recorded for training purposes? Mm -hmm. Okay, how many times have you hung up? So, I mean, part of this is, is becoming part of the way that we, that we function. Yeah. But I think there are some issues and there are gonna be some salespeople who absolutely hate this. Because, you know, before I could sit there and say, Barbara, how's the deal going with um, IBM? And you go, it's going great, Jim. And I got nothing. <laughs> I got nothing but your self-reported right. assessment. But now all of a sudden I can come back and how's that deal going with the IBM? It's, uh, it's, going, it's going good, Jim. Really? Really? Because I got a, you know, an email from you know, the system and it, and it gave me a synopsis of the call. And it pointed out that when you asked your, your champion to introduce you to her boss, she didn't say yes. And when you asked what was the status of the budget, it was still in the review process. And when you asked for a next step, they said, why don't you call us in two weeks and we'll set up the next step. So why do you think this is on track for closing at the end of this month? That's going to drive sales guys nuts. Right. But it's, it's, it's going to be out there. And so it's, it's the type of thing where it will take some getting used to. But, you know, Drucker's at best, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And so we got to make sure That's that right. we're addressing the cultural issues when all this comes to availability. So if I'm a CEO and, uh, you know, of, of a multi-location 
multifunctional product or service-based business. And I've just listened to Jim Dickey describe what's possible with AI and sales. So that suggests when you just were at Salesforce, so maybe what they're using Einstein in order to access this information. You mentioned Chorus as something that can record conversations and glean relevant information from that. There's probably multiple other uh, applications that can do this. Do I need to invite somebody from my organization to get on top of this and figure out what systems, applications we need to be using right now? Do we need to get on Salesforce's Einstein or Chorus or other things that are out there? Is, is that something every CEO ought to be thinking about? As long as they've done something else first, which is that they've gone through and assessed and found out what are the problems we're solving here? You know, mm-hmm. I, I get really bent out of shape where people go out and buy a technology and then go in search of a problem. I want to go find a problem and then go in search of a solution. And so I think you know, going through and doing that whole customer lifecycle management, finding out what things are driving you, what things are unacceptable. You know, I'm working right now with a, a software company that's planning on hiring 250 salespeople next year. And it's unacceptable that it's taking a year to get these people up to full productivity. Okay, that's a problem we're solving. So I think before we go look at any technologies, you know, what we need to go through is say, let's go identify all the things that should get some attention and let's look at them from two perspectives, two by two matrix. On the vertical matrix, um, what we want to do is put down what's the impact if we solve that problem from low to high. And then on the, on the horizontal axis, what's our ability to actually pull this thing off from low probability to high probability? And I want to go map everything into that matrix. And I want to look in this high impact, high likelihood of success and go, okay, that's phase one. Then go look at technology. But again, this one thing about AI that's interesting is that, you know, when we talk about first mover advantages, if we had two companies, you know, multinational companies, they're competing against each other and neither of them has a formalized sales process. And one of them implements one. I can show you based on, you know, historical data that things will get better. You know, the percentage of reps making quota will go up. The percentage of overall plan attainment will go up. Uh, win rate of forecast deals will go up. Margins will increase. The sales cycle will get shorter. Good things happen. And so I've got an advantage over my competitor until they do exactly the same thing. So I implement, you know, champ- challenger. They implement challenger. I'm, I got an advantage for a while. Then they catch up. Think about the example I just used with you with Bank of America. Okay, so you're Wells Fargo. You're in the audience listening to me present at Dreamforce a couple of weeks ago. And you think, hey, we ought to do what they did. And so you implement AI and you get a 2.34x uplift in conversion rates. That's great, except your competitor, U.S. Bank, is at 3.86. And by the time you get to 3.86, they're at 4.92 because AI is going to get better. And so there is this thing, a first mover advantage that says you can be late to the party with sales process. You better not be too late to the party with AI, because otherwise you're going to be looking at your competitors, you know, taillights for a long time because you may never catch up. Yeah. So uh, what we really need to understand is that the basics are still the basics. It's, it's people in process before technology. Technology is still an enabler, even when we're talking about AI. Yep. Uh, figuring out what problem we're trying to solve is step one. And I love that you know high value relative to feasibility uh, matrix to map stuff on. But the new 
the new and critically important information is that we have a, an incredibly powerful new tool to help us solve these problems in AI. And we darn well better be taking a look at that once we've got our things in that upper right quadrant of the matrix. How can AI enable that and do it sooner rather than later? Your competitor is probably going to grab it. Yeah, I think that's what we're seeing is that, you know, a lot of these people that are in the AI space, what they're really doing is they're focusing on problem solving. So it's not the way that was we know I was playing around with this that, okay, I'm an AI vendor. Here's a technology that you can use to do things. And I go, well, why don't you use it to do things for me and I'll buy them from you? So, you know, this was not AI development platforms anymore. These are really AI applications for doing things like activity tracking, for doing pricing analysis, for going in and doing, you know, tracking things, you know, through the contract phases. So I think that that's really the key thing on it is to go back and find the right people to partner with. Go find somebody who's you know, focusing on developing AI solutions to solve the specific problems that you're facing, as opposed to going out and hiring data scientists. Because if we all went out and hired data scientists and created things from scratch, there are not enough data scientists in the world. You know, today, right now, the Alibabas and the Facebooks and the Googles are even going out and hiring PhDs in philosophy because I can't find data scientists. But if I've got a PhD in philosophy, I'm a logical thinker. I can teach you some more of those things. But that's why I think you've got to be you know, very comfortable about you know, picking these things and saying, I'm partnering with these solution providers. So who really understands this and who's got a good long-term vision? Because I don't just want to buy 20-point solutions. I want to buy things that will you know, be integrated in over time. So what do you think are some of the most ready applications for, you know, mid-sized to large global companies right now that, that folks ought to be considering? I think there are a couple. I think, you know, let's take a look at, at, at common problems that are universal. You know, okay, forecast accuracy stinks. <laughs> so that, It stinks right. for the vast majority of companies. So what if AI was looking at deals? And it started going through and saying, okay, this deal has been forecast to close at the end of December. But in terms of, you know, contacts that we've had, I'm, I'm looking at salespeople's schedules. I'm looking at emails going back and forth between customers and, and, and prospects and salespeople. I'm looking at call records in terms of, you know, calls going out. And I start to see that we haven't even touched the CFO inside of this company that we're, we're forecasting a $2 million deal from. So when in the history of our company have we ever sold something without the customer reading the contract. Nobody's even presented the contract to this person. So it's really letting AI go back through and start to give you analysis on, here's my perspective on what I think the deal is going to close. And, and here's why. And, and it's doing, again, all the things that we, we, we might hire a sales operations person going, can you call everybody and ask them if they've got appointments scheduled with the key of the customers that are supposed to close at the end of October? Don't need to do that. AI is going to do it for it automatically. It'll keep doing it all the way along. Yeah. So, so what are some of the applications that will help do that? One of them is, is a company called People AI. So what it does is it takes a look at calendaring. It takes a look at emails. It takes a look at calls, similar things with Einstein. I had a co-presenter, by the way, at, at my uh, panel at Dreamforce, who was the um, VP of sales for uh, Pedrod Software. And he talked about the fact that they had implemented the technology to go in and do the analysis by by tracking things on and, and giving scores back on those things. So that, you know, there are things out there. And by the way, that's that's an SMB. <laughs> that's an S of the SMB world. So it's not just for big companies anymore. 
So I think that you can start to take a look at things like that. Another thing is just this whole onboarding problem or reboarding. You know, I, I, you know, I keep talking about everybody says, leave the A players alone. The A players in sales, you know, they're great. The A players are great at one thing. You know, they're great at selling a fraction of the product line. But if you really take a look at where their numbers are coming from, they're selling like pieces of it that they're really good at, but they're not proficient at other pieces of it. So they could learn just as well. And I was at the Microsoft Build Conference uh, where there was a company from BrainShark demoing a prototype where it was virtual reality glasses. And so you put those on and in front of you were three different avatars. So there was a financial decision maker, a technology decision maker, and an end user decision maker. And so you're going through an actual simulated call with these people. And if all of a sudden you're really good at engaging the financial person, but you're ignoring the, the lady in charge of technology, you start to see her demeanor slouch and she starts going forward. So it's, it's <laughs> cueing you, go engage this person. And it throws an objection at you. And if you handle it, great, we're going to go on. You're proficient at that. If you didn't, then it's going to take you a different direction. So I think there's ways of using AI to really help us master our things because there's always going to be new products. There's always going to be new competitive changes. There's always going to be changes in the marketplace. And so how do I adjust the way that I'm working with customers and make sure I'm still mastering my, my profession? And I think technology is going to be there because it, you know, it's available 7 by 24. And it'll help me go through and get better at the things I need to work on. Just remarkable. So uh, to wrap up, I'd love if you, could, if you can create a scenario for us of the company of the future, which might be three weeks from now, the way things are going. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, but, you know, picture whatever your favorite sector is. You pick a product company, a service company. It might not be a multi-billion dollar enterprise, maybe something in the billion dollar or slightly smaller realm. And let's say they've got a highly talented CEO with mm -hmm. a great product and service and a strong team. So they've, they've got the right people on the bus and, the, and they've got a clear vision about where the company's going. They're not currently AI enabled. They are struggling. The sales function is not optimal. Mm -hmm. And there's the usual silos that have uh, formed and perhaps let's just say they're not calcified yet. What do you envision in this company of the future would be the way, that, I'd love to picture the vision of transformation for this company that includes AI and includes operating internally and externally with partners in a way that's effective. What does the CEI need to do first, now, next, and later? Uh, the CEO or the CIO? Mm -hmm. Start with the CEO. Okay, good. Let's go with the CEO. I think the major thing with CEO is you've got to focus on getting your processes right first. You know, if you throw AI at crappy processes, you will just do inefficient and ineffective things faster than you've ever done them before. So you, know, you mentioned it early, the process is, is the key on this thing. So, and by the way, if you go back through and you map out your processes and you really get down to the specifics, like, okay, what do we do at the needs analysis stage of the sales process? What do we do at the implementation step when we're actually going in and helping our customers start to utilize what we did? You know, what are we doing when we're going out and broadcasting our customers, you know, the new capabilities of a new product? If we really get down to, Who's doing what? What are they doing? What resources do they have access to? What content are they using? Where's the holes in the process? You can start to fix things away. You don't need AI technology to go fix lousy processes. 
And by the way, if you start doing that, you'll also find best practices. You'll find that somebody somewhere in the world is doing something different from everybody else, and it's having a higher impact. So I think the first thing a CEO is, okay, let's become process focused. Let's get really religious about this across the entire enterprise. Secondly, you have to worry about data. The key thing that AI needs in order to be useful is clean processes and lots of reasonable data. And so you got to go back and say, what are we doing? How do we make sure that you know, the data we have in our systems is current? How do we update those types of things? Then I think, you know, the technology is there. And again, you don't need to implement all of this at once. You and I talked earlier about the fact that, you know, when Michael Hammer wrote the book Reengineering Corporation, he talked about that, you know, reengineering was never about doing everything one or two percent better. It was about doing one or two things in order of magnitude better and then a couple more things and then a couple more things. And I think that's really the goal of the of the CEO. Why My second software company was bought by a company called Teradyne out of Boston. And what Teradyne had, which I thought was brilliant, was they had the critical objection list. And so every department got three things that they could put on somebody else's list. Like sales could go back to marketing and say, here are three things I need you to solve. And sales or marketing go back to product development and say, here are three things you need to solve. And the key thing was Alec Darboloff, who was chairman of the company at that point in time, said, okay, at the end of 90 days, this thing has to be off the list. Something new is going to be on. But you got 90 days to stop the bleeding. And because there was a focus on a few things, things got done. There are too many times where there's 9,000 things on that critical objection list. And, you know, we can't do 9,000 things. So I think it's, it's really getting really good at, at having that vision on setting the processes in place to implement the vision on having the data and, and then having the right tools across the enterprise. Tell us about CSO and uh, how can our listeners best take advantage of what you've got going on at CSO? I know I, I love the information I get from your website. Yeah, so CSO Insights, you know, we've been collecting primary data on what are the challenges facing sales teams, why those problems exist for 24 years now. In addition to that, Barry Trailer and I, this coming next year, are also going to be focusing on a new entity called Sales Mastery, where what we're going to focus on is, okay, if we understand the challenges and why those problems exist, let's start doing case studies on who solved that problem. Who's taken ramp up time for new reps from 12 months down to six months? You know, who's increased margins from 20% to 30%? You know, who's gone through and increased the win rate of forecast deals from 50% to 70%? So we're going to be doing a similar thing of just, you know, doing eBooks around the issues of here's somebody who's taken a problem and here's how they solved it to give people a recipe. So something that they can start to copy. And so far, we've had really great responses when we've asked people, can we come in and take a look at your project? We haven't been turned down a single time yet. So that'll be the other key thing that we're looking to you know, do more of. Let's start talking about not the fact that forecast accuracy is horrible. Let's talk about the few people that are doing it better so I can start to emulate them. Huge thanks to Jim Dickey for enlightening us about the big shifts taking place in the sales function. If you'd like more sales genius from Jim and his partner, Barry Trailer, go to their website, salesmastery.com. Hey, I'm not going to give away the surprise. I'll just say that what they've done on this site will make you smile. That's salesmastery.com. If you like what you're hearing, you'll find all the good company podcast recordings on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. If you're curious about working with me, send me an email, barbara at shannon-solutions.com. 
This episode and all the Good Company podcasts are produced with help from the amazing team at Resonate Recordings. Till next time, stay strong and carry on.